The other night, my youngest daughter was having trouble getting to sleep. So after many other requests for food, for another story, for milk, she asked if I would say a prayer for her, which I did, of course. And I told her that whether she asks or not, I say a prayer over her every night before going to bed. Most often I use that ancient blessing of the people of Israel. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This blessing is likely based on the experience of Moses in our Old Testament reading today, a passage about how the God of glory will ever be able to dwell in our midst. And the answer it gives is based on God's promise, God's presence, and God's plan. God's promise. This passage from Exodus comes at a crucial moment in the history of God's people. God has just made a covenant with Israel on Mount Sinai, giving Moses the Ten Commandments. And while this covenant is being made, the people are rebelling on the bottom of the mountain in the golden calf incident. This is when Moses rushes down the mountain and smashes the stone tablets. God tells Moses to go on ahead to Canaan without him, that he will not go with this rebellious people. But Moses intercedes for the people, and God agrees to go with them. Then Moses, amazed at this merciful God, asks to see his glory. And the Lord passes by Moses as he stands in the cleft in the rock, and God covers his eyes until the very end so that Moses can only get a little glimpse of his glory. Moses couldn't bear to see the glory of God in its fullness. So God renews the covenant with his people, the covenant they broke while it was being established, and Moses brings a new set of stone tablets down, each with the Decalogue inscribed in it. By the way, we often picture commandments one through five on one, doc, one tablet and six through ten on the other, but um, we know from other treaty, treaty documents in the ancient Near East that both of the tablets would have had the full Ten Commandments on them, um, so that each party in the covenant had a copy for their records. Um, so this is where our passage begins, with Moses coming down from Mount Sinai again, with the two tablets of the covenant in his hands again. And the key thing to remember is that the covenant God makes with his people is a covenant of grace. It is not based on how good the people are. Exodus makes it abundantly clear that, just like us, they are rebellious from day one. Rather, it is based on God's promise to dwell with his people, a promise that he will one day make good on, regardless of how difficult or unlikely it may seem at the time. So the God of glory will dwell in our midst, first because of God's promise to do so, and second, because of God's presence. Moses comes down from the mountain with God's renewed promise to go with his people and the terms of the covenant of grace in his hands. And you can just see this humorous scene play out. All the people start staring at Moses, and they're afraid. He has no idea why, since he can't see his own face, so he calls out to them, and Aaron and the leaders slowly, tentatively approach this man whose face is shining with the glory of God. 
At some point in the conversation that followed, they must have told him that they can't stand to look at his face, which is never a nice thing to hear. But he eventually goes and gets a veil to cover it. Actually, there's a funny art history story related to this passage. You don't get to say that very often, a funny art history story. The word that the Septuagint translates, along with all modern English translations, shown, as in the skin of his face, shown, can also mean grew horns. This is how Jerome translated it when he, when, he, when he gave us the Latin Vulgate. And as a result, you'll see Moses depicted in all sorts of works of art with horns coming out of his head. Uh, for example, Michelangelo's famous, famous horned Moses statue. But this is one place where Jerome got it wrong. Moses' face shone because he had been talking with God. And what this communicates to the people is that Moses was in the very presence of God. This has several consequences. It means that the words he speaks to the people are not primarily his own words, as the epistle reading today notes, but the words of someone who, moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. As such, they carry God's authority. It also means that Moses is a unique mediator. He is the one who is making it possible for God to dwell in a limited sense with his people. He does this by speaking to God on behalf of his people and to the people on behalf of God. Most intriguingly, it shows the means by which God intends to transform his people into a holy nation and a royal priesthood to make them the kind of people who can bear and in fact delight in the fullness of his glorious presence among them. And the way he will accomplish this gradual uh, is by a gradual transformation into his likeness through his personal presence and his spoken words. Moses' face carried an imprint of his encounter with God. While we do not play that same mediatorial role, that special role Moses had of the old, with the Old Covenant, when we experience God in prayer and worship, we are likewise changed. Our faces might not give off a frightening glow, but we do begin to bear a family resemblance to our God and Father. Moses also spoke God's words to the people, words which taught them what God expected of them. What a privilege and joy to know what God wants for our lives. Words, as the Apostle Paul notes, are, which are able to instruct you for salvation. We too have this joy and privilege. We are instructed in the way of life when we read and meditate on God's word. As we do so, we with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being changed into his likeness from one degree of glory to another. I think we often fail to realize just what a joy and privilege that is. Charles Spurgeon once said, oh, for the enjoyment of such heavenly communion. Have we not lost a great deal by so seldom seeking absorbing fellowship with the Most High? I am sure we have. We snatch a hasty minute of prayer. We afford a hurried quarter of an hour for Bible reading, and we think we have done well. God's desire and will for us is to be in a relationship with him. The God who made all things, whose glory fills the earth and the heavens, is inviting each one of us to know him better. Surely we can clear some time on our calendars for this most important of relationships. 
the God of glory will dwell in our midst because of God's promise, because of God's presence, and lastly, because of God's plan. I love going hiking in the mountains, though I don't get to do it much these days. Last year, my family spent some time in the UK, and we had the opportunity to take a day trip to the Lake District. We woke early and drove two hours to Keswick, where we caught a boat to the Hawes End Trailhead, the beginning of our, our hike, and there we began our ascent to the summit of Catbells, stopping periodically for a breather or a piece of Cadbury chocolate. For you Beatrix Potters fans, uh, Mrs. Tiggy Winkle's home is located on the back slope of Catbells. The panoramic views from the summit over the lakes below and the western fells in the distance were truly sublime. I'm not sure if you've ever had an experience like that, but I am a different man having had an experience of that awesome beauty. And I bring that experience back down with me to the valley of everyday life. In a similar way, the story from the Bible is a story of God's plan to come down and dwell in our midst, to bring that heavenly glory down to earth. This section of Exodus gives us an illustration from the life of Moses of this downward movement of God to dwell with his people. First, God's glory is visible up on the mountaintop with Moses in cloud and fire. Then God's glory is seen in the face of Moses, a person standing between God and his people. Finally, just after today's reading, God's glory fills the tabernacle, the place where heaven and earth meet, where all Israelites could go to experience the personal presence of God. Remember, Moses prayed that God would show him his glory. At the time, God gave him a partial fulfillment, a little glimpse of glory. But many hundreds of years later, on another mountaintop, Moses saw the fullness of God's glory in the face of Jesus, the one who came down from heaven, the one in whom all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, the one in whom we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. The Lord bless you and keep you. These are hard words for me to say. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace.